0: welcome to those joining us online also. We have some announcements before we commence public worship. The Trinitarian Bible Society's quarterly record has uh, come out, at least we've received it now. It's a uh, little on the late side it would appear, but it's on the back table for those who are interested in the important and diligent work that the Society carries out. A uh, 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 a note of welcome to those who are new in our midst, um, to, um, to Stephanie, that's Mitch's wife, you're very welcome, uh, this morning, and also Maroon, it's good to see you in again, and uh, Carlo uh, von Herrick and Ashley Rosendahl, you're very welcome in the Lord's name, as everyone is welcome in the Lord's name this morning. I suppose a special welcome is also due to Mrs. Ali Struck. Who has been brought in by a husband, uh, freshly imported uh, from Australia. And so you're very welcome, Ali, uh, to join uh, the congregation. So if you have not said hello, now is your opportunity. Just a reminder that the deacon nominations, uh, the deadline for that is uh, today, this evening. If you haven't handed in your nomination slip, then please uh, do so, or the deadline will be passed. For your nomination interviews will be held this week and so once we've determined tomorrow morning uh, the the nominations and the, the strength of the nominations, uh, we'll be in touch to arrange uh, interviews. Interviews can be done online um, so don't think that you have to make uh, that effort to be here in person. Uh, we would do that online together with the session and we trust that the list of candidates will be published next Lord's Day. This coming Friday evening at 7pm, Young Adults Fellowship, uh, so that's here in the basement. Uh, let me just add again that uh, request for visitation to Mrs Flynn, the address you have in uh, the bulletin. And after last week's uh, session meeting, it has been decided that the annual general meeting itself would be postponed, but the election of deacons would still take place on Tuesday, April the 25th. We have our prayer list here with uh, those who've been on the list uh, for a short or a longer time. Do remember Fairview uh, Baptist uh, Church. Um, They still have an outstanding um, amount to raise for the purchase of the building. Um, So they're still coming a little bit short. So do remember them in your prayers. Uh, And do remember Marissa also, um, highly pregnant and uh, well past the due date But all is well, I understand. The doctors have checked upon her either yesterday or Friday, and all was well. But do remember her, and of course, Lewis, in your prayers. So this evening we have at 5.30 a time of prayer in the prayer room. 6 p.m. we have our time of uh, the evening service. Uh, This coming Tuesday, our weekly Bible study and prayer meeting at 7 p.m. Young Adults Fellowship on Friday, I've already mentioned. Next Lord's Day, 10 a.m., the adult Bible class, 11 a.m. Uh, at, s- at the same time as the adult Bible class downstairs, we have the Sabbath School for Children. And then 11 a.m. morning worship and 6 p.m. evening worship, preceded by that half-hour time of prayer I've just mentioned. Let me encourage the Lord's people to come out for that time of prayer to seek the Lord's help and blessing. All these announcements are subject to the will of Almighty God. Amen. Our call to worship today is taken from the opening verses of Psalm 95. Psalm 95, verses 1 to 3. Psalm 95, verses 1 to 3, may it please the Lord to draw us all into a right and true worship of himself through the, the going forth of his word. Psalm 95, verse 1, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Amen. So, uh, let's take up our uh, songbooks. If you go to the very back, we have a collection of Psalms to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. uh, The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures green. He leadeth me the quiet waters by I stand to sing all five verses of Psalm 23a, please. Seated. Let us please still our hearts together. Let us approach the Lord in prayer, coming before Him. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, Thou eternal Lord, Thou who hast created us, Thou who sustainest our every moment, Thou art the author of life, the giver of life, the sustainer of life. Lord, we art Thine. Thou hast made us, we belong to Thee. Lord, and how glorious it is to know that the one true and living God, in a world full of false gods, that the one true and living God is merciful, is kind, shows goodness to all, even those that are in rebellion against him. And Lord, we do give thee thanks that the one true and living God is a gracious God, shows that... Uh, that favour towards those who are so undeserving of it, that we may come before Thee, O God, and that we may confess our sins, that we may look unto the Saviour whom Thou hast given, Lord, and that we may be saved. We shall be saved when we call upon the name of the Lord, and we pray, O Lord, that even today Thou wouldst have mercy upon all that are gathered into thy house, that thou would enable us, O God, to worship thee as we ought, and those who are unable because of sin. We pray, O Lord, for mercy and for the work of thy Spirit to convict of sin. Would thou do so, O Lord, cause souls and consciences to be awakened to their need of being at peace with God. God's way, through God's uh, Redeemer, even unto us this morning. And so we pray, O Lord, as we come into thy presence, those that may call upon the name of Christ, that thou would forgive our sins, and that thou would have mercy upon those who are still outside of Christ, outside of peace. Lord, have mercy upon them. We thank thee, Lord, as thy word declares that we may cast all our cares upon thee, knowing that thou carest for us. That gives us that encouragement, O God, that we will not be rejected, that we will not be despised, that we may come with our weaknesses and our needs uh, to a good and merciful God. And so we do this morning uh, call upon thee for that help that we all need, whether it be physical help, Mental, emotional, spiritual, financial. Lord, that thou would help us to abide, to remain, to stand until it please thee to answer our many prayers. And Lord, thou knowest all our needs. There are many needs that will not be spoken or prayed for from the pulpit. But we thank thee, Lord, that thou knowest all things. And that thou desirest to hear our prayers. That we are so encouraged so often in thy word to call upon thee. And we call upon thee this morning and pray for help to be given to many. Remember, O oh Lord, uh, Lewis and Marissa and the baby, Lord, well overdue. And we pray, O oh Lord, that thou would protect mother and child. Bring the baby soon and safely into this World. We pray for all those who are expectant at this moment. Remember Yvonne. Remember Ashley. Remember others also, O oh Lord, who are expecting a child. We thank Thee, Lord, for that blessing granted. We thank Thee, Lord, for a new generation and a new generation that, by Thy grace, will walk with the Lord. We pray, O oh Lord, for uh, growth of the child of the children mentioned and even of others, and that there would be a safe uh, birth granted. We pray also for their souls. We pray for the souls of the unborn and of the children uh, of the congregation, young and old. We pray, O Lord, that Thou would be pleased to open their hearts to the Word of Christ, that Thou would cause them to look unto Jesus, that He would be to them the author and the finisher of their faith. That, Lord, Thou would deliver them from wrath and grant them peace and love and comfort and joy in the Holy Ghost. Will thou have mercy, O Lord? We'll remember all our loved ones, those whom we have prayed for for many years. Remember Janet's husband, Ernie. We pray, O Lord, for thee to deliver him from sin and unbelief. Remember also uh, Albert Kinloch. Lord, will thou remember him? And his soul, thou be pleased to work that faith in him, to give him that gift of faith that only thou canst give. And, Lord, we know that with man uh, such things are impossible. With thee all things are possible, especially as we consider the work of salvation, O Lord, to save souls that are dead in sin, that are not even with eyes open to understand the things of God and the trouble that we're in before a holy and righteous God the judge of all the earth. And so help, we pray, even this morning. Remember the elderly of the congregation that need thy touch, Mrs. Fisser, uh, Mrs. Ainsley, uh, Mrs. Flynn, Lord, and, and Janet also, Mrs. Essayenko, and all these others that need thy touch and thy help. We thank thee, Lord, that thou hearest prayer. Lord, we may not know that healing of the body in this life, especially at, at a high uh, age, but we do pray, O oh Lord, that we may know that all those we've prayed for and others may know the comfort of God in their soul as he is pleased to bring them through that last valley before he brings them through the waters of the Jordan, as it were, through death and to be brought to be with themselves. Remember our, our, our beloved brethren and sisters in Fairview and their need of finding that last uh, amount of money to complete the purchase. Lord, wilt Thou uh, provide all their needs, that they would, O oh Lord, be able to enter in uh, to their new building up there in the uh, northwest, or just about the northwest. We pray, O oh Lord, uh, and give Thee thanks that the old building has been sold. But we pray, O oh Lord, that they need this uh, this last push, financial push, as it were. Provide that we pray, and continue to bless. Uh, thy people there. And Lord, we come before thee once again with this, uh, this process of electing a new board of deacons. We do pray, O oh Lord, for thy blessing and protection to be upon the nominations and upon the interviews uh, this week. We pray for uh, clarity, we pray for help in all matters that we would know, that everyone would know whether, whether nominating uh, names, whether interviewing whether drawing up the list of candidates and coming to the final vote in a few weeks' time, Lord, that we may know personally the work of the Spirit and the direction of him. And, Lord, we do pray for thy blessing to be upon this whole process, thy blessing to be granted to rest and to remain upon thy flock even here. And so, Lord, we pray also, and we must not miss... Uh, that which we've been commanded to do—to pray for all of those in power. We pray, O oh Lord, those that rule this nation, those who've been ordained of God to rule society, secular society. We pray for all those, Lord, whether it is on that that ceremonial basis of of uh, King Charles the even to the prime minister, his prime minister there in Ottawa, Lord, and throughout the the provinces and the various um, leaders of the various provinces and local leadership also, even the mayor here. Lord, we can name names and we can be honest and say, Lord, there are many godless in power. There are many who are contrary to the gospel and to the scriptures. We look unto thee, O Lord, and we pray for them. We pray for Thee to restrain their wickedness. We pray for Thee to remove the wicked from power, to put the righteous in their place. We pray to that end also for great awakenings, for revival and reformation. O Lord, will Thou have mercy. Enable us now in the continuance of Thy worship today to worship Thee in spirit and in truth. Pour out Thy Spirit upon us. For we pray in the name of Jesus and for His everlasting glory. Amen. It's now time for your offerings to be made to the Lord's uh, work. I'll ask uh, one of our deacons, Deacon me, to come and give a short word of prayer, thanksgiving. Immediately after that, after the collection has been taken, we remain seated while the collection is taken. Uh, we'll sing from hymn 500 him 500 be still my soul brother please
1: our heavenly father this indeed is the day which the lord hath made we will rejoice and be glad in it thou dost always make us glad bless the gathering of these ties to the increase of thy kingdom and for thy glory for thou art the king of glory In the name of our most wonderful, glorious author and finisher of our faith, our God, Jesus Christ, who is also our most well-beloved and perfect master, brother, and friend, forever, and forever and ever. Amen.
0: Please open your copies of God's Word to the New Testament and to the second epistle of Peter. Second epistle of Peter and the first chapter please. 2 Peter, and we will read together the whole of chapter 1. As you're reading, you might be reminded that we examined the closing verses of this chapter a while ago. But we're not re-examining them. 2 Peter, chapter 1. And hear with a, a godly and upright fear in your heart the word of God. Second Peter chapter 1, reading from verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Saviour Jesus Christ, and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance... Patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you, and abound, are in abundance, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Wherefore, for which reason I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, suitable, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavour that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honour and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto unto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Amen. And may it please the Lord to bless to us all the public reading of his word. It is with the Lord's uh, gracious help this morning that we hope to examine uh, a number of verses very briefly, uh, from verse 5 up to verse 10, maybe including 13 in a way. But it does focus and revolve around verse 10. Verse 10. So we'll just read verse 10 again together. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Amen. Let's briefly call upon the Lord in prayer before we come to the preaching of his word. O merciful and loving God, we give thee thanks that we have heard thy voice speaking to us from the Scriptures thank thee, Lord, that the Scriptures are true, are a true record of thy goodness and thy greatness. They're a true record, O Lord, of our own sin. They are a true record of the mercy of God to be found in the gospel, a true record of the only Redeemer given to the elect. Lord, we do pray that thou would help us this morning, that thou would enable us, O Lord, to... Hear thy word, that it would not go in one ear and out the other. But we know, may know the blessing of God, the Holy Ghost, even in this time of preaching. That Thy word, O Lord, would be planted in our hearts. That Lord, thou, thou will prove the great power that thou hast in the soul of a sinner. Lord, open eyes, renew wills, cause even today as sinners to embrace Jesus Christ. And Lord, hear us, we pray, and pour out thy Spirit, both on preacher and hearer alike this morning. We need him. We need thee, O God. For Christ's sake and his glory. Amen. When we think of the gospel, we immediately think of being saved, of, being, of coming to salvation, and to go very, very basic, what to be saved from? Well, to be saved from our sin, our guilt for that sin, and to be saved from a righteous God who will judge us for that sin. God knows how holy and how righteous he is. He knows that he will not be bribed, and he will not be convinced of anything else but to judge sin. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so God gave in the gospel, gave in his Son a solution for our great problem. And that is that, we would b- that the Son came to earth and died in the place of sinners who would repent of their sin and would believe on him. And it is by trusting in Jesus Christ that we have that work of his uh, to pay for sin given to us, applied to us, that we lay hold on Christ, as it were, and all that Christ did in his payment for sin and in the peace that he made between uh, us and God, is then ours. And that's why we're commanded in the gospel to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust Him, to follow Him. Well, we trust His Word, and He says, repent of your sin. I, your sins will find you out, and your sins stand between you and God, and, and therefore you are to repent of those sins, to turn away from them. Even the great sin of unbelief, turn away from it, and believe in the promises and the work to be found in Jesus Christ. And so then we may understand, maybe having attended church for many, many years, that we need saving faith. We need true faith in Jesus. Not a wishful thinking faith. Not a faith of just merely attending a building. But personal saving faith. Faith. So I think that's understood by, by most of us, if not all of us, that that is necessary. But linked with this is something else. And it's called the full assurance of faith. That we can be assured, having come to God, having heard the gospel, it says repent and believe, having obeyed the gospel call, looking unto Jesus and yet to have that full assurance of faith, to no longer doubt that Christ is ours and we are, are His. Now, you may have heard the expression, the assurance of faith. Maybe it's something that you've been looking for. Maybe it's something you don't understand. But let me just say very, very briefly, very briefly what the assurance of faith is. Well, it is a deepening and a strengthening Of your trust in Christ, of trusting Him more and more. And that assurance is that His saving and work, His saving work is yours. He saved you. You have assurance in His word that His promises are applied to you, you have assurance in His love and affection toward you. And where does all this come from? Of course, it comes from His Word. And it's worked in, in us by the Spirit of Christ. So it's a deepening. It's a, an anchoring. It is, the, it is laying down deeper foundations. It's, as it were, drilling, drilling anchors deep into the rock of Christ to become immovable. You know, but for some believers, it can take time. Yes, I, I trust that Jesus has saved me. I have come to God, God's way. I have come repenting and believing. I, I read these promises and, and I have hope towards them. But are they really mine? Am I not being presumptuous, that person might say. And so it can, for some, take periods of, of difficulty, periods of spiritual challenge, before they are actually able to fully Rest in Jesus, to know for sure that they are absolutely and wonderfully saved and that they are his and he is theirs. We have that word in the assurance of faith, just that middle part of that word, sure, that you're sure that he has saved you, you're sure that he loves you, you're sure that he will bring you to himself in due course. And so assurance of faith is a very precious gift, a very precious, we could use the word, grace. But it is, for some believers, a great challenge. Other believers may not have this, but everyone has it to some degree when they first come to the Lord not knowing the Scriptures maybe, not knowing how much of this is applicable to me, how much the Lord is speaking to me. And but through the centuries of, of Christendom, and we could even look in the Old Testament and see examples of, of David, lacking assurance of faith at times, and others too. But it is such an issue for some Christians that the Westminster Confession of Faith spends a whole chapter on it, a whole separate chapter, chapter 18. And it's entitled, Of the Assurance of Grace and Salvation. And there are four sections in that chapter. We're not going to read the whole chapter, obviously. But I will sneak in some sections as we're moving along. But I would like to just open up the first section. Not open up, just read it. Because it lays down a good foundation. It begins with this. Chapter 18, of the assurance of grace and salvation. Although hypocrites and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and the estate of salvation, which hope of theirs shall perish. So they're given due diligence to say that. Now we come to this. Yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. Interestingly, noticeably, the Church of Rome is against assurance of faith. It's against assurance of faith It calls such assurance of faith presumption. You presume too much. Unfortunately, in the extreme wings of the Reformed world, which I would not call Reformed, even hyper-Calvinists would teach the same as Rome, that you are presumptuous to uh, have assurance of faith. But it is a biblical doctrine. It's biblically taught, it's biblically commanded that we would Give diligence to make your calling and election sure, to have that assurance. I have a few suspicions on why they preach against this biblical doctrine, but we'll leave that to one side this morning. But true and scriptural assurance of faith that God has saved you, that God loves you, and that God will bring you to himself can and is to be obtained. Not because you wish it to be so. Not because you feel it to be so. But because the Holy Spirit is working it in your heart, in your soul. In your soul. Not in the body, but in the soul. In spite of the emotions, the lack thereof or the abundance thereof, it's something that the Holy Ghost works. It is, therefore, as mentioned, it's a grace of God. An undeserved gift, a divine gift that God gives And so uh, it is still an issue. And therefore, we must preach the full counsel of God, which includes obtaining assurance of faith, which is the title of the sermon this morning. Obtaining assurance of faith. And we have a number of points, some quite short. As we examine verse 10, uh, we read, uh, firstly, the wherefore. That's the first point, the wherefore. The wherefore. Verse 9 declares... When we're considering the wherefore, at the beginning of verse 10, we go back to verse 9. It says, But he that lacketh these things... So there are things that are lacking, and therefore you will lack in assurance. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Now then, the question is, what things? That's a perfectly good answer. What things, uh, as we have written here... Can one lack, and what things are we to have when it regards assurance of faith, being sure that your sins are forgiven you and that you truly believe in Jesus, that he truly loves you? What, what, what things? You see, these are not light matters. These are not extras. Th- these are fundamental things of the Christian faith, of the work of God. Well, we have to go back to verse 5. And again in verse 5 we're, we're, we're commanded to be diligent and we'll look at that command in verse 10 where it says give diligence. Again we're, we're told here in verse 5 beside this giving all diligence add to your faith. You're trusting in Jesus. You're believing his word. You're believing his warnings and his promises. You trust them and therefore you do what he says you to do with them to repent of your sins and to follow him. Obedient faith. But then we get this list. We get this list that would add to faith virtue. You might wonder, what is virtue? What do we understand virtue? Virtue is excellence of character. And that is as determined by the Scriptures, of course. So scriptural virtue, excellence of character. And we're to add, so we have faith, then we're to have a scriptural character, and we're to add to that scriptural excellence of character, uh, we're to add knowledge. And what is that knowledge? It's not merely a collection of facts. It's not just the list of books you've read. But it is this, most importantly this, a personal understanding of God, of Christ... The way of love, the way of holiness, the way of salvation—something that's, that's understood, something that is experienced and known. So, faith, virtue. See how you're you're reading it left to right. So, faith, virtue, knowledge, and then temperance. And what is temperance then? It means a complete control. That you are in control of your faculties, you're in control of your emotions, you're in control of your actions, your, sorry, your, your mouth. Because temperance means self-control in all areas of life. Faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience. And this patience is not merely the word that means long-suffering, but is the word that means patient endurance. Spiritual stamina that in difficulties that we're enabled to remain in them. We're not to remain in them because we're masochists and we think we're holier when we remain in difficulties. But while the Lord brings us into these difficulties and for as long as he keeps us in those difficulties, we will endure because we're not relying upon the strength of the arm, but we're looking unto Jesus, that we are desiring the strength that he gives his people. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So that is what that patience is, patient endurance. So that's there. That is, again, clearly of God. Then godliness. Godliness. Is that linked with virtue? Yes. But it's specifically named here because what is that? That word for godliness in in the Greek means a pious practicing of religion. Attending the means of grace, personal worship, family worship, public worship, etc. And that's an important thing. You hear people say in the broader evangelical world, uh, talking down what religion is. Oh yeah, we don't believe in religion. God hates religion. That's not even in the scriptures. God tells us what true religion is. The word religion doesn't mean anything bad in and of itself. The word religio in the Latin means to bind us. It binds us to God. The lost sheep scattered. And then God comes for his lost sheep, brings them to himself, and we are, as it were, bound to him by love. Bound to him by the gospel. Bound to him by blood. That's what the godliness means. Then we have two more. Brotherly kindness, he says. Brotherly kindness. Well, you know You know this word in the Greek, Philadelphia. The love of the brethren to each other. The love of Christians to each other. Kindness, this means goodness. Goodness of words, goodness of actions to those who also call upon the name of the Lord. And then we have, and we finish with charity. We finish with the the creme de la creme, the, the, the high point, is this divine love. That's what this, this word charity means. It's, if we think of charity, we might think of a goodwill shop, but that's not, the, that's not the meaning. The original meaning of that word charity is trying to translate a word that means love, but it means an unconditional love, an undeserved love, a divine love. And these things... Are to be found. And we're to be diligent in, in adding to our faith, adding to our profession of faith, adding to our life of faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity, unconditional love. And as the Lord and as the Lord is pleased to grant us grace that we would be diligent in all of these things, think of the exact opposites, which will then be driven out of our heart driven out of our mouth and out of our thoughts, and be given no more room. We could say this then. We could sum this up and say, Add therefore to your status as a redeemed sinner the character of the Redeemer. Be fruitful in Him because you are found in Him. So that's essentially what verses 5 to 8 are saying. That ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's just explained those fruits. The fruit of the work of the Spirit. And here we have the truth. Salvation is all of God. And yet sanctification, which is what we're mentioning here. The learning to be a Christian, to walk as a Christian, to, to think as a Christian, to desire as a Christian... To have a character formed as a Christ-like Christian is something that we are to give all diligence to. And yet we must admit grace is of God. It's not something that we can go into the back kitchen and we can just give a recipe and we have have grace, we have an, an undeserved gift from heaven. And yet we're still commanded to be diligent. And those who aren't diligent, it says here, verse 9. Again, it gives a number of matters that are clear when the professing believer does not bear fruit. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, short-sighted, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his sins. Of course, he's not talking physical blindness or physical myopia or physical forgetfulness. It's talking of spiritual matters. And when you immediately see this and see verse 9, in the context of Peter writing to the church, we must see two things. Firstly, that they, whom he is talking about, have become seriously backslidden. They have become seriously backslidden, and they are therefore called blind. Well, what is it that blinds a human being? Sin. Sin blinds us. It blinds us to our sin, therefore we will not repent of it. It blinds us to our need of Jesus Christ. And yet, we have here professors, those that profess faith. So they have backslidden, and when you backslide, backslide is an act of unbelief, and you backslide because of sin, into sin. And they are forgetful of how sinful they were, and how much they needed to be cleansed. And as is always the case with backsliding, pride has replaced humility. I can do this Christian walk on my own. I don't need whatever it might be. But pride is always the fuel of sin. And backsliding means that you're barren in spiritual fruit and therefore lacking Christlikeness. But they're not written off. They're not written off. They're exhorted once again be diligent. The Apostle Peter does not write off those, those believers who are, if they're going to be honest with themselves, see very little, if anything, of this. He says, be diligent. We'll come back to that. But as the Westminster Confession in chapter 18 also begins that first little section and, uh, and makes it very clear, well, there are false professors in the church. There are those that would profess to believe, but are false converts. That is also how we may understand uh, Verse 9. And in their case, verse 9 would, would point to their public profession, although it would be a false one. They say they have spiritual eyesight. They say that they have had their sin purged by blood, but that is not so. Because they seriously lack these things. Blind and dead in sin, cannot see afar off, cannot look unto Jesus, and have not been truly purged but the gospel goes out to them as well. The gospel goes out to us all. So we've seen the wherefore. Wherefore, for which reason? The rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. But secondly, we see the brethren together because the exhortation is made to all Christians alike. He speaks brethren. He's speaking to all those that come into the church the saved, the unsaved, the backslidden, the false saved. He's speaking to them all. And he's speaking to all Christians alike. Apostle, in his case, simple believers, in our case. He's speaking to them all, and he calls his fellow Christian brethren. Brethren being well aware of the different spiritual states and conditions that people can be in, and yet within the flock of Christ he calls them brethren, brothers and sisters in the faith, fellow children of the household of faith. And because all the brethren may and should obtain to such assurance, there are no exceptions. It's the general rule of the Christian life that you must not lack these things, but rather give diligence to make your calling and election sure. The apostle himself obtained it by God's grace. You can obtain it by God's grace. You will only obtain it by God's grace. So the wherefore, secondly, the brethren together, I said some were short. Thirdly, the better way, the better way that he exhorts us to. He says, wherefore, the rather... Brethren, rather give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fail. And it's by this use of the word rather that the apostle encourages all believers to look to gain the full assurance of faith. That we don't have to be doubting, that we don't have to be wondering, we don't have to be, shall we say, spiritually insecure. By lacking these things, the apostle Peter says, be diligent to obtain them. Be diligent. And that word, the rather, we could maybe translate it as more willingly. More willingly. Therefore, more willingly, brethren, give diligence. Be more willing than you have been to obtain the assurance that the Lord would have you have. And why would you... Uh, why are you to be more willing? Why are you, as it were, to to now stop slumbering in fruitlessness and be diligent? Well, for comfort's sake, for a start, and that's at the very heart of the assurance of faith, that you yourself are personally comforted in knowing deep in your soul that you have been saved from your sins, that the, that, that, that the devil is no longer... The ruler of your life, that you've been removed from his kingdom and brought into the everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ, that you have him as your king, you have peace with God, and you have a home in heaven. So for that gives great comfort that you may know that, that you may be assured that you're personally saved, but also for faith's sake. For faith's sake that you have learned to trust more and more the sweet gospel promises of God that are fulfilled in Christ. More and more. That you can trust not only are those promises there, not only are those promises towards those that trust in Christ, but those promises are made to me. The personal promises made to me. God has said so, it is so. And so for, for comfort, yes, but for the strengthening and the increase of faith, that you trust him more, that you'll take his hand, as it were, and go wherever he leads you. So the wherefore, the brethren together, the better way that he is exhorting, and now we come to the heart of what he says, the due diligence, the due diligence, the necessary diligence that is to be given Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. He speaks of two things then. He speaks of the calling and he speaks of of election. And is he sort of going into more theological matters here? Yes. Absolutely. Theology is the knowledge of God, knowing what God's saying, knowing what he's saying to me. We are all to be theologians. They might consider theology to be a dry thing, and it can be, but it doesn't have to be when you realize that this theology is showing me who this Lord Jesus Christ is, showing me the way of salvation and all that he has done uh, to, to, to save my soul. And here I am today, having been created by Christ and being given life today by Christ to be brought under the preaching of the gospel, the good news. So first, let's look at this calling. It is the call unto Christ. The calling that you hear under the preaching of the gospel. You're hearing the calling today. The call to Christ. You're called out of sin. You're called out of rebellion, out of disobedience, out of unbelief. Called into repentance and faith and obedience And that call goes out into the ears of all that hear it. And from the ears, it enters into the mind, it enters into the understanding, and from there it may, and God willing, it will touch the human heart. And it may even excite emotions. And yet for many, it remains there. It may touch the human heart. It may cause some emotion. But that's still an outward call. The call that is to have a spiritual effect upon you must enter into the spiritual part of you. Must enter into your soul. And when that word of Christ enters into the soul and it's only God that puts it in, how often you've listened to the preaching, how often, you, you, how many years and decades you've been coming to church, it's only when the Holy Spirit takes that word and puts it in and plants it as a seed within the heart and the soul of the sinner that there is an effect it has an effect a seed must enter into the ground if you know anything about seeds seed must enter into the ground different seeds have different needs but in general let's just say it must physically touch earth many seeds must be covered by earth and have some light or no light and they must have contact with moisture. So moisture, uh, contact with the earth, and some or no light, and oxygen, air. They must have those four things in different, different amounts, depending on the seed that it is. And so must the seed of God's Word enter into the heart. It can't just land on the outside. It must enter in. And it must be watered by the Holy Ghost, so that that seed will bring forth new life. Faith will come forth. And all those blessings that cause us to have new life in Jesus Christ. And therefore the seed of the gospel must be well planted and it must be watered by the Holy Ghost, as I've already said. And that's when the call of God through the preaching of his word has a true and life-giving effect. And we use the word effectual. A call that has an effect upon your soul and upon your life. The soul that was dead in sin now becomes alive to Jesus. You had no faith, but you're granted faith. And you're to give all diligence to add to that faith the virtue and the knowledge and the patience, etc. It has an effect. And if it has that effect, then we may be assured that we are the chosen so we have a call that goes out and when that has an effect we can understand ourselves to be the chosen and the chosen is another translation of the word elect and that's the word that we have here to make your calling and your election sure Calling and election. Calling and choosing. And what do we understand then? Well, when we understand election, we understand that God has chosen you from all eternity. Wasn't left up to you. Wasn't left uh, to a random choice. Uh, The Lord has granted you grace to repent and believe. And as you study the Scriptures, as you're taught under the pulpit ministry, you learn more and more how much God has done everything. He's done all things. He's done every work to save you. I know there are many churches who have a very shallow theology and would say, you know, uh, come to Christ, and you come to Christ, and you talk about, yet me coming to Christ, and that I chose Christ, but as the Lord himself makes it very clear, We do not choose him, he chose us. Because your name had always been written in his book of life. You make your calling sure and it proves your election, is all I'm trying to say. Now, I, I I need to say this. Making your calling and your election sure does not mean that you spend time praying to God that He would give you some supernatural revelation that you are one of the elect. That is not what it says. That's not even in the context of what it says here. It is not commanded elsewhere. That scriptural light does not shine on this verse. And that is erroneously taught in certain churches, but it is not what this scripture says. We have now the context. Beloved, you must always seek the context. That we do not take a verse out of its context and make it say something that it does not say. We are not to put words into Christ's mouth. His words are to be put into our mouths and into our hearts. Now, on the contrary, the Bible teaches us that the intention And the evidence of election are coupled together. Calling and election. We see this in Ephesians 1 and verse 4. According as he hath chosen, that is, elected us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. See, proof that there's been a real calling is that change that we have in our lives. And that gives us the assurance that God loves us that we have our sins paid for, that we are the elect of God. It's by their fruit you shall know. It's by your fruit that you shall know that you are the elect of God. And yet the Lord does not, does not take it as read that everyone understands what election is, although he, preaches, he teaches it very clearly in the Scriptures. And therefore we have these exhortations Exhortations to do that which we know that is the work of God. And yet we're exhorted to do them. And here we have that exhortation. Because we're taught to be conscientious now. We're taught to be conscientious. Give diligence. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. So here we're now coming to a responsibility that's granted to us, that's given to us. And two things then, two points, two points that are really being drawn forth when we look at the words calling and election, diligence, self-examination, self-examination is the first thing that we are being called to be diligent concerning. And much of, it, much of what we've already said it will Uh, is is pointed to when we consider self-examination. He's saying, examine yourself in a way. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. On the basis of the fruitful effect that the gospel has had and still has in your life, make your calling and election sure. But also the means of grace. The use of the means of grace. It's pleased the Lord... To determine a number of things, well, all things, but in this regard, it's that he has determined that his people are to be fed how by his word. Tis determination that the ministry of the word is to be going forth, and that it is to be ministered not by anyone who feels like it, but by his servants. And thirdly, it is to be done in his presence. Where two or three are gathered in in my name, there am I in their midst. We could add to that his house. But even a house church enjoys those gracious benefits of the Lord. His word, his servants, and his presence, the means of grace. There's much more that could be said about the means of grace. But that is where the Lord gives grace. That's why they're called the means of grace through his word, through his through his worship, through him being there to bless, him sending out his spirit into his flock to convict them of a specific sin and granting grace that they would react properly to that conviction. Nobody likes the conviction of sin. Nobody, nobody f- likes the feeling of feeling guilty. But it must be done because it's the only thing that will make us have that sorrow for our sin. How else are we going to have sorrow towards sin if we do not allow the, the, the convicting work of the Spirit to have His work within us? How else will we then realize that this is against God, that God is not pleased with it, even though I might be, and therefore I will repent of it, that I will get on my knees and call upon the Lord for forgiveness and help to defeat this overpowering sin? We cannot. We cannot. And therefore, the the right use of the means of grace is allowing God's word to do that which God will have it do. And so we are actively to come under the means of grace. When the word of God is opened, you should give due diligence to be there as much as you're able. And even when you're not able, where there's a will, there's a way. At first glance, you might think, well, I, I can't get there on Tuesday evening, for example. But I'm sure if you had to be somewhere on Tuesday evening, you would give due diligence to be there. If you really had to be there. It's one example. And then when under the means of grace, to greedily take it all in. Lord, what, what will thou say to me? And not to be distracted by anything. But to be fed by the Lord Jesus Christ. So that you do not lack anything. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. You need the light of God's Word. You need the light of the Spirit to open up the heart. Again, I'm not talking about an obscure doctrine. I'm talking about the the, the core of Christian faith. To the wherefore, the brethren, together, the better way, the due diligence, the assurance given. The assurance given. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and your election sure. In some ways, I'm... In some ways, this fifth point is will repeat in some way something of what we've just looked at. But as we've also read in Second Peter, that he is not against the repetition of doctrine. We see then, fifthly, the assurance that's given. The assurance that, 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 that being so sure in your heart that you are saved and that you belong as the personal possession of Jesus Christ, that his blood has personally been applied to you and paid for your every sin. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. This really gives me the opportunity to bring in Article 3 of Chapter 18 because it says it better than I can. bit old-fashioned language, but this infallible, unfailing assurance doth not so belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long and have conflict with many difficulties before he be partaker of it. Yet being enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given him by God, he may, without any extraordinary revelation, in the right use of the ordinary means, the preaching, the coming together, the praying, the singing, etc., Attain thereunto. They might get it. And therefore it is the duty of every one to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure, that thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace and joy and in the Holy Ghost, in love and thankfulness to God, and in strength and cheerfulness in the duties of obedience, the proper fruits of this assurance. So far is it from inclining men to looseness, which is accused. Accused by the Roman Catholic Church that if you, have, if you have assurance of faith, it will cause you to sin. That's a, they're, they're one of their excuses. But that's clearly not what Peter speaks of in the slightest. So the question is do you bear the fruit of God's Spirit in your life? Do you see something of these fruits of change that we read in verses 5 to 8? Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord's people? And do you desire to spend time with the Lord and with the Lord's people? These are the great changes. And your life and your desires and your thoughts become more and more to revolve no longer about you, but about the Lord Jesus Christ. His glory, His benefit, His people, His rules. And then finally... The immovability promised. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fail. If you are diligent in the means of grace, if you therefore bear spiritual fruit, if your love of Christ is not in word only, but in, be- in obedience to his every word, ye shall never fall. You will never fall because you will not doubt that Christ is your Savior. You will not fall because you will not sin against Christ in your weakness of faith. And nor will you fall from grace because you are one of his elect. Even though there is still much sin and unbelief and weakness in your life. And what is this fall then? Well, it is an actual fall from grace, a falling into sin even a fall into backsliding. And these things will not happen when you are diligent to be a spiritual and fruit-bearing Christian. Can one actually fall from grace that has saved you? No. But there can be a, a falling away, shall we say, from the means of grace. So the religious fanatic, the religious zealot, the religious legalist who does not rest upon the grace of Christ but is busy building their own religion and fabricating their own assurance have no assurance, true assurance, have no bedrock. It's based upon what they do and what they think and it is not based upon the work of the Holy Ghost. But here it's made clear to us all how true assurance of faith is found. It is based upon Christ. It is experienced in Christ, and it bears fruit that's only been able to be formed, only possible to be formed through Christ. The world cannot do this, the flesh cannot do it. And so let me let me speak to the weak Christian. You that struggle with assurance. You're unsure. What are you to do? Well, you are to be humble and repentant that that command that we have to repent and believe is is a daily commandment if we humble ourselves if we repent on our knees before God for our weaknesses and our sins and our failings by doing so Christ is exalted over you by being absolutely biblical in all that you think and you do, allowing the Bible to direct your life and to change your life and to change your attitudes, to change your relationships, you are then under the authority of Christ's Word. And that's the the relationship that we are to be to the Lord. That we are humbled and He is exalted above us. That we are humbled and we are under the authority of His Word. How can we say that he is our king if we rebel against him? And we are to be diligent under the means of grace so that Christ is formed in you. Diligent. Didn't just say you are to attend every meeting, but you are to be diligent under the means of grace and be bold in self-examination so that you may be assured that you are to be found in Christ. Rather, it says here, wherefore the rather brethren... Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. It's not an option. It's a command. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. May God bless his word to each and every one of you this morning. Let us briefly pray. Our Lord, we come unto thee and we thank thee for thy word. We pray for help and grace that we would give due diligence that we will be diligent to make our calling and election sure, that we may know and rest in Jesus Christ, that our faith in him, our love towards him, our keeping of his commandments as an expression of that love may be increased within us, may be granted to us for the first time even this morning, that we will be granted even this morning having been blinded by our own sin, eyes to open and to look unto Jesus, that he would even today be the author and the finisher of our faith. Here thou was in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your hymn book to hymn 408. Hymn 408. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. We we'll stand to sing the three verses of hymn 408 Blessed Assurance. Amen.
2: This is my story, this is my song Praising my Saviour all the day long This is my story, this is my song Praising my Saviour all the day long Please remain
0: standing for the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen.